This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. Back in May 2018, I learned about a new conference called Revoice because of a tweet that came from an organization called Living Out. Living Out is a so-called ministry for Christian brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted. And when I saw that tweet recommending Revoice from Living Out, all my alarm bells went off and I started devoting many hours of programming to Revoice, culminating with our counter-conference on a biblical view of homosexuality called God's Voice. Now, Living Out was co-founded by a man who also serves as an editor at the Gospel Coalition, Sam Alberry, who calls himself a same-sex attracted Christian. Alberry has enjoyed lots of support in evangelical circles, not just from the Gospel Coalition, but Ravi Zacharias's ministry and even John Piper's ministry, Desiring God. John Piper, of course, is one of the leading figures in the New Calvinism movement and came to prominence largely for his introduction of the concept of Christian hedonism promoted in his book, Desiring God. But is there a connection at all between John Piper's invention of Christian hedonism and Sam Albury's invention of the same-sex attracted Christian? And have these ideas actually helped to unravel a biblical view both of sin and the authority of Scripture? We are going to dive into that today with author Enoch Burke. Enoch holds a Bachelor of Theological Studies and Professional Master's in Education. He resides in the West of Ireland and has taught at second level for over 10 years. Today we'll be talking about his latest book, which is called The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury, The Truth of Scripture. Enoch, wonderful to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Janice. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Well, a great number of listeners I know will know these names, John Piper and Sam Albury, but my question, why they're tied together in your book? What is the connection, would you say, at base level between these two men and these ideas that have infiltrated evangelicalism? That's an excellent question, Janet, and it's a very fair question. Um, As a language graduate and also a theology graduate, um, the the message of this book really is about the power of language, and in particular about the power of language to be abused, uh, when it is abused, how destructive it can be. As you rightly pointed out, John Piper's Christian hedonism uh, is really... uh, in my view, and as as, as reasoned in this book, uh, is an idea which is not um, supported um, uh, and really runs directly contrary to the doctrine, the Protestant doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, and also the authority and and so on of Scripture. Uh, The term that he uses, uh, Christian hedonism, is one that you don't find in the Bible, and it isn't something that anybody who was given a Bible uh, would come up with by themselves. Uh, now, John Piper wrote his book, uh, Christian uh, Hedonism or Desiring God, back in 1986. What a lot of people don't know is that in the last uh, 15 or 20 years, his influence has grown astronomically. Uh, he has a million followers on Twitter as we speak and so on. So 
in the past 10 years, uh, he had the opportunity to, if you will, endorse or promulgate a lot of other ideas through his Desiring God website platform. And one of the people and one of the ideas that he has chosen to promote uh, is Sam Aubrey and his idea of same-sex attracted. So that is the link, um, if you will, from a practical point of view. But when we come at it from a language perspective, both men come up with a phrase, uh, whether it be Christian hedonism or on one hand with John Piper or same-sex attracted on the other with Sam Aubrey, a phrase which is new, is not found in the Bible, is not a scriptural language, but yet is used to describe something which in their view is central or very important to the Christian life. And the message of my book is that there's huge danger in embracing that and huge potential for a major compromise of the faith of the Church, the witness of the Church, and also the, the witness of the individual Christian life. Well, that's absolutely right, and I want to get into that in greater detail as we go along. I think, actually, after reading your book, it really clarified for me how much of the John Piper philosophy of Christian hedonism, which, as you point out, was not anywhere talked about in Scripture. In fact, it was kind of a jarring concept when I first heard about it. Hedonism is the opposite Mm -hmm. of holiness, I mean, as you point out in the book. Mm -hmm. But it seems that Piper, in many ways— paved the way for the error that is now afoot within evangelical circles pertaining to LGBTQ plus Christianity. Uh, They say it's celibate, but I mean, is it not the case that that you could see a philosophical connection between those two things as well? Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, I think for your listeners, uh, Janet, a a useful example might be even in the, uh, so to speak, secular world at the moment, uh, what we witness happening with government. We have this new language. A lot of people instantly know that now. You have, for example, words like, on my side of the Atlantic anyway, words like staycation. Uh, You have words like social distancing. Yes. And without getting involved in a big conversation about those words, what a lot of people should understand is that here you have if you will, a positive idea, where if you take social distancing, I mean, the idea of being social, being friendly, being a good smart and reaching out to your neighbor, which is really important. And we have the word distancing. And what the government has done is it has combined those two and has, if you will, in some regards, created confusion in order to to shape public action or to, to, to shape people's actions. And that might be a conversation for another day. But My argument in the book is that when you take, for example, a phrase like Christian hedonism, which, as you rightly observed, is pleasure on one hand, something hedonism, it's the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate aim in life. It's really a bad idea. Christians would associate it with being a negative thing. What Piper does is he combines that with the word Christian. And he, in his own words, emphatically states this is the aim of life. And what it does is it creates confusion in the mind of the listener. And um, the tragedy of this, Janet, is that confusion always puts people in chains. I mean, if we're confused about something, we become reticent. Uh, We're less likely to speak up. We're less likely to uh, to speak up in the public sphere. It comes to defending uh, the right to, uh, for example, have a Christian union uh, on campus in college, um, whether uh, to to, to witness clearly to those trapped in homosexuality about the, the wonderful... Uh, freedom that Christ gives. If instead we present and we hold back, it's a great tragedy and there's a great loss of the, the salt and light of Christian witness. 
And that's the danger in this book. And really, I suppose it's the total opposite of what Christ said when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When we backtrack and when it becomes something else, a smokescreen, we lose freedom also. And this is the tragedy. And this is what my book is written to address. Well, it's all very important for people to understand because there is a great deal of confusion. And I think you make a very good distinction in your book. When you're talking about Christians using a word that's not in the Bible, for example, people will raise the issue of the word Trinity and they'll say the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. However, the concept Mm -hmm. of the Trinity is absolutely all over the Bible. So we're just coming up Mm -hmm. with a word to try to explain what already is in the word of God. That's not the case with what Piper did with his theory here. I mean, when he says this most famous line that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, is our satisfaction actually what gives the most glory to God? I mean, I mm-hmm. I don't find that in scripture. I see obedience gives exactly. glory to God. <laughs> exactly. You know, and this is this is totally right. And it, it is a tragedy. Um, so you have um, an idea there that just simply is not something that you find when you study the scripture. And the tragedy of it is that it's such a central idea. I mean, uh, Piper, a lot of people, and I think it's important to speak here, perhaps a lot of your listeners, John, will have come across, um, perhaps a lot of young people, I mean, when I first came across his ideas, it was approximately 10 years ago, and a lot of young people might come across his website and find something that they think is useful for them on it. I mean, it's a huge website, it has hundreds of thousands of views every month. But I think I would encourage your listeners just to look at the name of the ministry, the name of the, uh, the so-called ministry, the website, it's Desiring God. And everything that Piper teaches and promotes is built upon his philosophy of desiring God. It's built around this idea that uh, the most important thing in life is to find pleasure and to seek and pursue pleasure in God. Yeah. And this is an idea which for me, it's something that absolutely is not found in Scripture and is leading to havoc, really, in the church. Well, take a break here. We're going to just pause. Enoch Burke with us. His book is called The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Alberry: The Truth of Scripture. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. What happens when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby's heartbeat for the first time? Here's how a nurse describes the power of ultrasound. When she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her. And she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Then we were able to share the gospel. Sometimes we were able to give out a Bible if they're open and just minister to her the scientific truth and God's love. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. One ultrasound is just $28 or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? Call now. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. 
As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Enoch Burke. He is the author of The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury, The Truth of Scripture. As you know, John Piper from Desiring God is famous for his embracing of the doctrine of Christian hedonism, which for a lot of Christians has been problematic over the years. And I think in recent days, people have done a better examination of this concept, comparing it to the Word of God and finding it wanting. Sam Albury, of course, is co-founder of Living Out, and he has had some controversy of his own pushing same-sex attracted Christianity. And there is there is an overlap here and there is some cross-promotion here that is troubling. And we're talking about this with Enoch. You, know, you were talking before we went to the break, Enoch, about this whole idea of God being most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, which is the line from Desiring God. Really, it, you can really take the word of God and, and find fault in that statement. It sounds good, which says, you know, my highest good and my highest desire should be for the Lord. But doesn't that put feelings over truth, ultimately? Absolutely. And this really is the message of my book. And um, I've, I've taken it very carefully. I've, I've, I've taken Piper's words. I've looked at them and I've examined exactly what he said. And then I've compared it to what the scripture says. A lot of your listeners will be aware of the, the line from the Westminster Confession of Faith that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes. And we know that there's nothing wrong at all with enjoying God. We know that there's nothing, uh, there's nothing, emotions are a gift from God. The problem is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And those two things are subsumed by Piper into one idea, which is, simply just to enjoy God. What Piper didn't do, and I bring this out in my book, is that the, even those godly men who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith, what they did is they went on further and they said, well, they said the next question was, how may we glorify God? And they said it's the Word of God. That was the answer to the question, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Right. Now, what Piper's idea, and I suppose the huge danger of Piper's idea, is that it's making a statement which might sound good, but uh, it's unscriptural. And what it ends up doing is making emotions the authority and not the scripture. Hmm. Um, making your feelings, uh, how you feel, uh, and as we all know, our feelings go up and down, making that something that you pursue and be preoccupied with and be, as we're introspective about, rather than the scripture. And this is a tragedy when it comes to obedience, because as you often know, uh, there are times when you might not feel like doing something, uh, but you do it because you know that it's absolutely the right thing to do, and the blessing and the joy and the happiness comes as a result of that. 
Uh, this is something we find all throughout the scripture, um, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but it, it runs totally contrary to the uh, to the philosophy of, of John Piper. And throughout the book, I've looked at, uh, for example, uh, others who have examined his doctrine. I've looked at the origin of his uh, his idea of Christian hedonism, uh, its roots in people like C.S. Lewis and Bernard Eller. Yeah. Uh, and these were men who, in and of themselves, uh, might have they were as it were forerunners. They had many of the same ideas of John Piper, but they weren't exemplary when it comes to living Christian lives and living godly lives that glorified and honored God and were a witness for Christ in the public sphere. Yeah, which is important because you point out it wasn't like C.S. Lewis, much as we enjoy a lot of his books on certain points. He was not an evangelical. And this other man that you mentioned was a what a self-described Christian anarchist, which doesn't seem like mm-hmm. the best source to use when you're trying to teach people about the Bible. No, absolutely not. And um, I suppose uh, that in itself, um, and Piper himself, and, uh, and the book is really taking Piper at his word. Piper himself acknowledges these are the source of his ideas. But yeah, when you go to these men, um, they, those ideas didn't bless them. Let's just put it like that. And uh, how can they then bless the church? But I suppose um, looking at the other side, then what should be our authority? And the wonderful thing is, it should be the scripture. And there's the scripture as a rule of life and as a guide for the Christian. And what you notice with Piper, and this is something um, I come from a, a country that's majority Roman Catholic, as you know, Janet. And when you put another source, uh, in Piper's case, emotion as the authority rather than the scripture, you end up being ambivalent on a whole host of things. And I think this is something that we've really seen throughout uh, evangelicalism in the past 20 years. Yes. Um, I mean, even as I was preparing to come on your show, and I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I would, uh, Janet, living in the U.S., but 50 years ago in the United States, you had such a host of uh, Christian involvement in the public square in a very clear and overt manner. And you had, um, I'm I'm aware, I'm a history teacher also, so I know of the the moral majority and other movements. And these movements were not perfect by any means. And uh, we can all criticize and judge them now. But what was absolutely clear was they were trying to impact the culture for Christ. Yes. And what we have now at the moment is in a way the complete opposite of that. It's the culture with its language weaving its way into the church and um, a grace, as it were, downward slide the results. Oh, yes. Oh, you, you've nailed it. That's exactly what we have. That's exactly what's going on in America right now. And it is a tragedy, and it's going to be getting worse if we don't hold up the Word of God as our ultimate authority and its inerrancy and uh, the clearness of Scripture on some of these issues. And, you know, Enoch, mm-hmm. to be fair, I'm sure there are listeners who enjoy reading John Piper's books or maybe have gone to a conference and seen him and said, he does hold to the authority of Scripture. How can you say that he's not holding to the authority of Scripture? But here's the thing that I think people will often miss. There are a lot of people out there who say they hold to the authority of Scripture, but you can't just stop there. You have to look at what they actually say and how it compares with the Bible. For example, I'm bringing out a couple of quotes that you had in the book from John Piper. He said, it's unbiblical and arrogant to try to worship God for any other reason than the pleasure to be had in him. I don't know where the Bible says that. And then you quote from Passion 2020, the Passion Conference, huge conference in Atlanta, This was what John Piper said there. If the name and fame of Jesus does not become your greatest desire, you will not only waste your life, you will lose your life. Well, what he really seems to be saying there, Enoch, is that if my feelings wane, 
there's a great likelihood I'm not a Christian. I mean, that would drive people to despair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that the closer you examine John Piper's teaching, the clearer it becomes that it's not the message of the Bible. I mean, it's not the traditional message, the simple message, if you want to put out the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this, Janet, is, and I know firsthand because I've had contact, a lot of people have, have written to me and I've heard contact in other ways from people um, who have said that their their children, um, they would have been families that would have been, we'll say, conservative, evangelical or fundamentalist and so on. And their children would have embraced the ideas of John Piper and repudiated their families and turned on their mothers and their fathers and said, you don't have emotion, uh, you're serving God out of a sense of legality and so on. And I suppose the, the tragedy of this is that uh, we all know that there are times when we should have more uh, joy and we should have more satisfaction and, and happiness in God. But that is no reason to change the whole basis of the Christian faith, which is what John Piper does. Yeah. He hammers, as it were, on a weak point. He hammers on a guilty point, if you want to put it, of, um, of the history of Christianity. And he uses it to undermine it completely. And um, the ambivalence that results is really tragic. Uh, as you said, um, people who embrace this doctrine, and they have to embrace it as a philosophy of life. Piper's very clear about that, that you have to become a Christian hedonist. Yeah. What I've done in the book is I've just looked, for example, I've looked at one example, and that is Piper's uh, position on Roman Catholicism, which, as we, we know, uh, also has another authority other than the Scripture. Yeah. And Piper's ambivalence on, on Roman Catholicism uh, is something that I've documented throughout the book because I suppose I have firsthand, um, uh, I live amongst Roman Catholics here in Ireland, and um, it's very, very clear that uh, there isn't a clarity on that issue that is associated with other great um, Protestant preachers and teachers and Bible preachers and teachers over the years. Uh, one example was, for example, in 2013, uh, John Piper tweeted to his hundreds of thousands of followers um, that uh, this was at the time of the deliberations for the Pope. He just said that he hoped that God would put in place a Pope most willing to reform the Catholic Church in accord with your most holy word, end quote. And there are a lot of problems with this. Um, the po- and again, it's the ambivalence that is, that is the, the hallmark here. Um, it appears to be acknowledging that a Pope is legitimate, in some form, if he's praying that God will put in place the Pope willing to reform the Catholic Church. And that's just one example. I could mention many more. There's an ambivalence, there's a familiarity that there's a um, almost a, and a desire for rapprochement with, with Rome and with the Vatican that you just wouldn't find in somebody who really loves the Scripture and had a passion to reach Roman Catholics with the Gospel of Christ. And this is just one example, like I said, but it's all across the board. When you replace the authority of the Scripture, with an introspection and a preoccupation with feelings, you lose so much. And that's the tragedy, Janice. Well, right. And it is very ambiguous when you're referencing that tweet from 2013, because some people might read that tweet and say, what he's really trying to say is, please bring somebody along into Roman Catholicism who will be a Luther. You know, that could be one way of interpreting it. And But, yes. the, but you're right. When he talks about God placing a pope there, then you are succumbing to the premise of Roman Catholicism, which as a Protestant evangelical, he ought to be rejecting. So that ambiguity in and of itself becomes a problem, it would seem. 
Yes, absolutely. And the problem is this ambiguity is a whole feature of Piper's writing on all issues Roman Catholic. And I've been fair. I've looked throughout at what, what Piper has said all across the board. I looked at different articles and so on. Uh, there was another article where it was even clearer. It was about the spiritual state of Roman Catholic lay people. Could they be saved if card-carrying Roman Catholics? Um, could they be saved? And again, there was a great ambiguity and there was an unwillingness to really say that if somebody with all their hearts believes in Roman Catholic dogma and teaching, which is contrary on justification, is very clearly contrary to the Word of God, that that person is you know, is, is not a Christian in the biblical sense of the word. There was an unwillingness to do that, and this is a tragedy. And I, I yeah. suppose comparing this to people like John Calvin, who said that the, the papacy was a, a government which partly distinguished, partly suppressed the light of God's word, I mean, there's a light year's yep. difference. Between- Hang on just a second. Enoch, we've got a break. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Enoch Burke is joining us. His latest book is called The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury, The Truth of Scripture. And Enoch has done a fantastic job of linking the idea of Christian hedonism that has been popularized by John Piper with the entry point here where we've seen Sam Albury and Living Out introduce into the evangelical subculture the unbiblical, decidedly unbiblical concept of same-sex attracted Christian. Just to finish up what we were discussing, Enoch, before we had to rush to that Break. You were making the point that sometimes it, it's not that John Piper doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't ever say, you know, the gospel is what it is. And I know people will object and say, well, are you saying this? Are you saying that? But when you're talking about the ambiguity, when you're talking about the fact that he doesn't isolate the issue of authority, you were referencing, for example, as you mentioned in the book, that his belief that Roman Catholics can be Christians if their true embrace, their heart embrace of Jesus is better than their mental ideas or doctrines. That's just I mean, that that's nonsense. It's complete. It's clear as mud when you read that. Well, it is, absolutely. And that's a very good way of putting it, Janet. And I mean, I know other people um, very close to me and who have been great in instructing me in, in the ways of God, parents and so on, and were very helpful to me when at some stage I was quite taken with some of these ideas. And that is a very good term to use, nonsense. I mean, it is a... Uh, becomes so complicated and convoluted that it's even very difficult for people to grasp it. But I think what we should remember is that the the import of it, the effect of it, would really be that you would lose that edge, you would lose that passion, you would use that lose that conviction to really try and reach Roman Catholic people um, with the gospel of Christ and uh, and give them that hope that that they so desperately need. And uh, growing up here uh, in Roman Catholic country, I mean. I, I know that it's, uh, that's, uh, that the, it's perhaps easier for me to see it here, in space, but the, 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 uh, the Roman Catholic effect on the culture, the ignorance of the Bible, uh, the desecration of the Lord's Day, the hopelessness at death, um, the, the, the drunkenness and the immorality that's part and parcel of being a, a card-carrying Roman Catholic, 
um, this is a tragedy, and uh, and it's something that that really is uh, should be taken very seriously. Um, when you see Piper so ambiguous and so ambivalent on something that should be so clear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. The scripture. You're right about that. So, Enoch, let's wind in Sam Albury into all of this. Sam Albury has made an appearance or two over at the Desiring God website. And as I mentioned before, he's made a lot of inroads into evangelicalism. He's an editor at the Gospel Coalition. He was with Robbie Zacharias's ministry, may still be with that. But he was famous for this book before he founded, co-founded Living Out. He also concurrently, I think it was, came out with this book called Is God Anti-Gay? And his conclusion was no. But here's the question. This whole whole phrase, when you're talking about the problem of vocabulary, this whole phrase of same-sex attracted Christian, what in the world is that anyway? I mean, that's completely unbiblical. Isn't that a besetting sin? If you have, you know, desires that are sinful in any sin, in any sin category, that's a besetting sin, isn't it? I mean, why are we using this phrase same-sex attracted Christian if not to minimize sin? Absolutely. That is, that's totally right. You have it spot on. Um, I, I think of that verse in 1 Corinthians 14, 8, where it says that the trumpet gives an uncertain sound who will prepare himself for the battle. Yep. And that's exactly what we have here. Um, like I said about the, the phrase with a social distancing or these other phrases that introduce ambiguity, we think of same sex as something that's bad, but something that's, that's negative. And then we have the phrase attracted. I mean, somebody could be attracted to good food, they could be attracted to beautiful scenery. Um, and combining these two and introducing them into the language of the church, as Aubrey has done, um, is causing great confusion and is extremely destructive. I think just by way of introduction, um, maybe to some people who, who don't know Aubrey and don't know this idea, people should know, firstly, that Aubrey's ideas are being promoted by prominent figures within the Southern Baptist Convention. Yep. For example, his book was, his book was uh, distributed to 8,000 attendees at the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville in 2014. And this idea of same-sex attraction was at the heart of his book. Um, really, um, I'm thankful to God, uh, Janet, for, for many um, and particularly in, in your country, people back 20, 30, 40 years ago when this idea came out, who were very, very clear, uh, thank God, that people who were enmeshed in the homosexual lifestyle could be saved. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 6. I think it's good to be very clear about that. Such yep. were some of you. Right. Um, but somebody could have been involved in homosexuality or any other sexual sin, serious and tragic as that is, and become a Christian and leave that lifestyle and go on to do, to live for God and to enjoy uh, God's good goodness. What we have here is a completely different idea. It's the idea that you can be known as a homosexual, that you can be known as somebody who's attracted to other men if you're a man or other women if you're a woman, and be a faithful Christian. <laughs> that is what this idea is. Right. And uh, like you said, um, it's, it's in- introducing unacceptable confusion into the church. And um, the actual is here, because I mean, the the, the actors here simply promote this argument, um, try to introduce that confusion by saying, isn't there a difference between being tempted to do something and actually acting out on that temptation? And where my book addresses this point is just to say simply that that's not something that Scripture labors on. So Sam Aubrey's whole identity is built around this idea that he's same-sex attracted. That's what his, his claim to fame is. And he goes around speaking for the Gospel Coalition and Rabbi Zacharias uh, International Ministry, that's his persona. It's tied to that. You look at him and think, this is the person that's same-sex attracted. And to try to this, is, this is nowhere in Scripture. That Scripture does not discuss 
homosexual feelings without also discussing homosexual conduct. But it's unhelpful um, to have that discussion, if you understand my point. I do, yeah. And this is where a lot of people have fallen. And this is, and, and a lot of Christians, um, I believe, Bible-believing, sincere Christians, are tripped up at this point because they're being forced by, by activists such as Aubrey to have a conversation, if you will, that's not found in Scripture. Uh, scripture says, as we, as we know, it says flee fornication, uh, that we should flee from sexual morality. Right. Uh, the emphasis in Scripture always is that it's the, the actions, and it can be an inward action. It can be a lusting of the eyes. We know, we know Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why should I look upon a maid? He was saying that the look, that was sin. Yep. But it was fleeing. It was always something to be shunned in Scripture. And introducing and having conversations about something that Scripture does not mandate is a diabolical path to tread. To tread. That's, that's the message of my book. Oh, totally right. Romans 1 addresses this. Obviously, that's a very famous passage, just like you mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter mm-hmm. 6, pertaining to homosexuality. But when it says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever, amen, the next verse, verse 26, is for this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions or unnatural natural lusts. The lusts Mm -hmm. in and of itself are sinful. That's another point that all of these pushers of revoice and living out and Sam Alberry right at the top of the activists who are pushing this nonsense into the church, this heresy into the church, is that only if you act on your unnatural desires are you sinful. Other than that, yeah, it's just temptation, kind of like you wanted to take the cookie, you know, that, that didn't belong to you. It's Absolutely. like, well, it, it's not the same thing. This is the fight, it seems, that we're having to battle over the last couple of years, that the, the lusts in and of themselves are sinful before you ever get around to committing the behavior. You've got to get straight on that point. Yes, absolutely. And the tragedy of it is, um, Janet, and I think it's very important to be clear on this, the tragedy of it is that once you embrace the, the, the heretical idea at the heart of some of his message, your whole attitude towards um, all issues, um, so-called LGBTQI+, and homosexuality is completely transformed. You can't, there, there's not going to be a, a clear pronouncement against sexual sin. There's not going to be a standing against it. Um, I'm thankful, for example, that 20, 30 years ago, in, in, or even, even uh, Proposition 8 in California in 2008, there were Christians who extended uh, t- thousands of, of euro of pounds or dollars and and days and, and nights to defend scriptural truth in the public sphere. Yep. But if you embrace Aubrey's idea, your attitude, and this is what I bring out in my book, that new language brings a new attitude. And this is what's mm-hmm. so insidious about it. You really are embracing language that uh, is very soft on sin. Yep. Uh, and, and this is the day. And uh, this isn't a secret. I mean, Aubrey is very clear in his book. He says that if people came into his church who were living in sin, that he doesn't think that it would be... Uh, um, he, he says that it's not something that he would be... I'll quote, he just says, he would not feel obliged to instantly raise with them what he did, the shortcomings, he says, of their oh, lifestyle. Terrible. Hang on a moment. We do need to pause for one more break. Enoch Burke with us. We'll be back. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. 
Actor Kirk Cameron supports preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28 and every gift helps. To donate, please call now 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Thank you so much for being with us. And great to have with us Enoch Burke, author of The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury, The Truth of Scripture. That's what it comes down to. And you were mentioning, Enoch, before we went to the break, that you know you minimize sin when you start changing the language. You also start to have a new attitude coming out of this new language. What strikes me, and I know you would know about this, Enoch, that's what the gay activists major in, is changing language and changing concepts and trying to change public opinion. That was why, you know, when when Revoice came on the scene and when Alberry came on the scene, a lot of us started to say this is exactly what the gay activists in the secular world are doing. And now it's moving into the church. Absolutely. And um, the tragedy is that we'll say 2030 or back even farther than that, you had people who denied the they tried to reinterpret the scripture, they tried to reinterpret Romans chapter one, and they tried to, to say it wasn't about homosexuality and so on. And they were unsuccessful. Um, but what we have here is something that's just as dangerous and a message that's just as, as, as damaging to the, the, um, the strength of the church. And yet it's been widely accepted. That's the tragedy. And it's one that has a light view of sin. And this is what I try to bring out. This is what I, I bring out in my book and a light view of preaching against them. Uh, because once you accept that core idea, you cannot be strong really in, um, in anything do with standing against homosexuality and the truth of God's word to people who are caught in that lifestyle. And again, like I said, Jonathan, uh, Albrecht's not hiding this. I mean, he's, he, he and, I, and the book is actually a really useful resource for people who might want to know exactly what he's teaching. Um, because I quote, for example, in the book where he says, we should never say, he says, we must never imply even that homosexuality is the sin of our age, mm. end quote. That's what he said. We must mm. never even imply that. And this is tragic, number one, because um, 
when you look at the book of Jude, even the writer of Jude mentions three things that should warn us. And one of those is that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah pursued uh, homosexuality. They went after strange flesh. They pursued uh, homosexuality and how destructive that was. So the scripture does isolate it. Yep. Um, but but Albury's forbidding God's people to be strong on those things that Scripture is strong on and to give really a clear message. That's the tragedy of it. Well, it is. And, and I always kind of go back to the same line that beware of taking advice from people who have a vested interest in you taking it. If you have a man who is openly struggling with homosexual unnatural lusts, who is he to be giving advice to the church about what we need to stop doing? I mean, Living Out put out this terrible, you might have seen this, this terrible church audit not too long ago. They, they later had to yeah. rewrite it after we made such a big mm-hmm. deal about it. But they how biblically inclusive is your church? This was supported by the Kellers. Tim Keller and Kathy Keller, his wife, spoke at the Living Out Conference and endorsed this thing to go into churches. And one of the points in point number nine was asking churches, are your church family members instinctively sharing meals, homes, holidays, and children with others from different backgrounds and life situations to them? And when we made a big deal about this, they took it out. But here's the question that a lot of people will have when we're tying together John Piper and Sam Alberry, and we see that John Piper on the Desiring God website has featured Alberry, also this Nick Roan, who's horrible, uh, this another same-sex attracted, I think he's a pastor. Um, why? What is? Why is John Piper promoting Sam Alberry and these other allegedly celibate gay Christians? I mean, if this man is really upholding the Word of God and stands on the truth of the Word of God. Why is he doing this, do you think? What clues do you get from what he did with language to accepting what they're doing with language? What is that connection? Well, um, the book is quite clear, uh, Jonathan. I come down quite strongly on John Piper that I don't believe that his his idea of Christian headism, I would say, is a heresy. I mean, that is the, the argument of my book. Now, people must get the book and uh, read through my reasons, uh, my, my reasoned arguments for themselves. I think that uh, with John Piper, when you look at his own uh, sphere of influence and the sort of effect that he's had on the church, um, what he's done with his idea is moved people away from clarity around the sufficiency of Scripture, about preaching God's Word, and about repentance, a clear message on repentance and obedience, those two things. Um, for example, up in the wall of, uh, as I bring out my book, on, on the wall of my classroom where I teach, I have a simple uh, just a little a poster that it's that little phrase which says, um, "Watch your thoughts, for your thoughts become uh, actions, and the, your actions become habits, and your habits form character." And as you well know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, the the emphasis was on character, uh, men and women of character who mm-hmm. be able to live for God and defend God's truth. What we have now is something that's mysticism. I mean, that's what you have with desiring God. It's all introspection. It's all mysticism. And I believe that the ambiguity, that if you want to use the word, the tragedy or the curse even, that this departure from clarity and biblical truth with an embrace of John Piper, the tragedy that this has done is that it has opened the door to people like Sam Albright to come along again with a message that seems on the surface, uh, which claims to be biblically accurate, but in practice is far from it. And what's needed really is return to practical biblical Christianity. Yeah. And um, and your listeners will know this, and, I, and I, I really would love to say this, that we often talk about these things. I mean, we have the Revoice Conference, and people get out about these things. And the reality is it does come back to ourselves. That's why the last chapter of my book, I say, taking a look at ourselves. And I talk about the curse of not knowing, 
the curse of not caring and the curse of not acting. Because yes. the reality is, it's when you take a stand personally in your own life, it's when you say, now I'm going to return to Scripture, uh, I'm going to raise, whether well, it might be something as simple as raising your kids, that's uh, so they've godly lives, it might be, uh, you know, reproving sin when you meet it, uh, in love, speaking the truth to somebody, it might be taking a public stand against some pride march or homosexuality in some form or another defending Christian rights. It's only when you do that yourself that you're blessed. You can know all about the voice. You can know all about Sam Albright. But what I tried to do in my book was really bring it back to the to the individual yes. and say, uh, and, and there's this great section I really enjoyed researching and writing it. It's about Luther. Luther started off quite unsure, you could say, in some regard, of his opposition to the Pope and of his opposition to the Council. But as he took the stand, and this is the wonderful thing, as he took the stand, he became more and more sure of his convictions. Yes. And, and this is wonderful, but what we've seen is a reverse of this. And we can talk about things, we can discuss things, but it would be wonderful to see people actually take those steps of conviction again, because, I mean, this is the only answer. This is the only answer to really um, take the great Irish quote, uh, John Curran, I don't believe he's even a Christian, but he just said it's the common fate of the indolent to see their rights become a prey to the active. Mm. And the tragedy is we've been indolent in the Church, we've been indolent on these core doctrines, and the active, and sadly the, the people who have been active have not been good people, they have taken our rights, and, um, and because we haven't been, he's a man who said the condition is of liberty, is eternal vigilance. We haven't been vigilant on spiritual things, and to see that reclaimed uh, would be wonderful, and to see, to yes. see godly people rise up who would, who would truly do that. That would be the wonderful thing. Oh, amen. Very, very important what you've just said, and I have to throw this in before we run out of time, Enoch, because I so appreciated your mentioning regarding John Piper, how disgraceful it was that he would not come back after promoting Mark Driscoll and actually repudiate the man for what he did. Of course, people will know my involvement with Mark Driscoll because I confronted him with his plagiarism and kind of got that whole ball rolling. But that was despicable to me. So even in the celebrity culture of evangelicalism, you have celebrities covering for other celebrities, and then you have evangelicals, uh, laymen, uh, you know, not wanting to say anything because they like their celebrities. That, that's a lot of the problem, too. We need to put the Bible over celebrity. If we could solve that problem by the grace of God, we could solve an awful lot of things, I think. Absolutely. And doesn't it come back, Janet, to the local church? And it comes back to the family. And this was uh, these were all things that were so important once, and they, they have slipped. Um, people educating their, their children, as I was, and I'm thankful for it, uh, in the fear of God, uh, given a, a Christian a, a Christian education, these are all wonderful things. Um, at the local church, respect for the past, uh, the pastor, and, and truly loving God's word and knowing it and studying it. These are all things that need to be revived, and they've all demised in, under the celebrity culture of these men. And that's why, I mean, I, the message of the book, the title of the book, even the, the hedonism and homosexuality of John Pepper Swabry, the truth of Scripture. It's, it's a scripture that we need to get back to, to know it, to love it, and to be able to teach it and preach it like we ought. That is the solution on an individual level, and that's what we, we hope to see. Well, that's right. And I have to say, it's just a beautifully written book, and it's a beautifully thought-through book. You have such a good way of making your arguments and laying out all the evidence for what you're saying, Enoch. And I think it's such an important book for where we are right now, not only where you are, but where we are, because by the grace of God, we need the Lord to intervene in His own church and a lot of our denominations right now to return us to the Word of God and exposing what is wrong and what is false and is 
put up against the word of God in terms of vain philosophies and even heresies is an important duty of the Christian. And I'm glad that Enoch Burke has done this. Again, the name of the book, The Hedonism and Homosexuality of John Piper and Sam Albury, The Truth of Scripture. So well done, Enoch. And it was a delight to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us and for your faithfulness to the Lord. Thank you so much, John. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you. God bless you too. And thank you for joining us here on Janet Mefford today. Always wonderful to have you with us and we'll see you next time.